Welcome into the Green and Gold Then and Now podcast here on 105.7 FM, thefan.com. Jeff Orlowski, the Polish pipe bomb, steering the ship today. Joined, of course, by uh, the encyclopedia, Mr. Steve Zaki. You can follow him on Twitter, at Steve Zaki. Steve, what's happening? Living the dream, Jeff. Living the dream. Good to have you back. Yeah, it's good to be back, man. Oh, well, We should probably mention that, yes, we did not have a podcast uh, last week because, well, to put it bluntly, it was chaos here at 105.7 FM, the fan studios with the Brewers, everything Brewers, everything was geared towards the Brewers. And to be honest, I was geared toward, towards the Brewers too. So, yes, we were a little selfish and we we were trying to fit it in. We had some uh, scheduling issues with getting, in, obviously, into the studio with everything going on. Yeah. And we tried to do mm-hmm. some stuff at home, which we can probably do in the future. We're still fine-tuning it. But we just didn't want to throw together a crappy, sick, crappy sounding uh, podcast. So we said, screw it. And of course, now well, we have lots, lots of time to do Packers podcasts. <laughs> yes, we now. do. Yes, we do. Because you know what? I, I figure it out. If it's a sweep, I'm saving myself at least 28 hours of, of uh, seat time on my fat ass. Not watching the World Series. See, there you go. I tried watching game one, and I ended up flipping back and forth because, A, it took forever. The game was so damn long. And then, B, I really don't care who wins. I don't. Either do I. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I, you know, I I like a couple players in the Dodgers. I like a couple players on the the Red Sox, mostly because of fantasy baseball. Uh, But other than that, I, I don't care. Yeah, I hear you. We're also joined by Dan Plucker, intern extraordinaire. Uh, unfortunately, he is a Detroit fan, but uh, don't hold that too much against him. You know, it takes a lot of guts to admit you're a Detroit Lions fan. Thank Absolutely. you. But he is from Michigan, so, I mean, you have to. Well, nobody's perfect. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you know, I am, but. Well, introduce yourself, Dan. Okay, give us, well, give us a, sure. a quick little two-minute bio. Sure. Uh, so, I'm Dan Plucker. I was actually born in California. Uh, my parents were both born in Michigan. That's where my fandom comes from. I write for uh, Maize and Brew, which is uh, SB Nation's Michigan Wolverines fan page. And uh, I've loved Detroit sports ever since I was little. Um, I go to Wisconsin Lutheran College. I'm a double major there in communication and English. And this is my first semester here at 105.7 at Fan. It's been great so far. Well, good. You know what? In a word of advice, get a, get a teaching certificate teaching certificate well both my parents are teachers they'd love for me to do that so listen to them yes that is a good thing get some you're gonna make we some love money, sports yeah. media but uh as uh as we as i tell every intern and pretty much everybody here tells every intern is have a backup plan yeah, yeah. unfortunately and and you know it's a lot of fun doing radio but as every generation sure. goes on they always say the previous generation had a lot more fun and we have a couple of guys here in, this, in other stations that work within our corporate umbrella, mm-hmm. you know, they were in in radio when it was really, really fun. Oh, yeah. And you were, I mean, when you were in radio, especially here, I mean, some of the guys here, I mean, they were literally almost rock stars. You know, the the old Bob Berries. And, and I mean, you talk, if you get a chance, mm-hmm. talk to Mike Clemens. Yeah. He, you know, I know a lot about racing. I love old-time football and that. Mike, I love talking to Mike because he really knows the history of Milwaukee radio. Yeah. He's been around it for so long, too. Yeah, he's, so. he's a sponge. You can follow uh, uh, Dan on Twitter, at Dan Plucker. Plucker, 
Uh, it's D-A-N-P-L-O-C-H-E-R. Thanks for spelling it out there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. It's almost as good as Zatke. Z-A-U-T-K-E. See, you guys need an the easy Germans. name like me, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Python. Python. <laughs> <laughs> Even though today is probably not the best day to be oh, no, yeah, probably nicknamed not. No. that. It, uh, no. We're recording this on Wednesday, so... Uh, don't uh, don't play it too loud, or the FBI <laughs> might get called. Uh, so, okay, Green and Gold, Then and Now podcast. Packers, they uh, they squeak one out over uh, San Francisco, Steve. That game, there were many, many a nervous moment, and uh, yet again, we make a uh, a bad San Francisco team look almost unbeatable. C.J. Beathard picked us apart. C.J. Who? So, you know, it's well, there's a frustration here. We saw Aaron Rodgers show his frustration when they played the Bills, only scored 22. And that's even amplified now when you see what the Colts were able to do to the Bills last weekend. That's kind of what we were expecting when the Packers played them is that domination mm-hmm. and just running up and down the field. And there are things that I. The worst thing to happen for mediocre Mike was the Rodgers injury because it it masked so many things, and it, it's really we're I mean, it's really a situation where it's almost like the king the the king isn't wearing clothes type situation because now everybody's starting to start and digging, and then there's if you go on our green and gold then and now Facebook page we've been posting some stuff. Not just to pile on Mike, but this is these are articles that are actually interesting. And one of them was time management, which we'll talk about later. But all these things are starting to add up. And you, I'm watching. I got the NFL red zone ticket. I'm watching the Colts, and every they're on all the time. They're kept on scoring. And mm-hmm. the situation with the 49ers, you're like, what is going on? And then it's the second half. And it was weird because you're watching that, you're getting frustrated, but you're going to go, well, they're going to come back. And you're like, oh, they could come back. And then you're thinking they're just going to tease us. And, well, they had actually pulled it out. So, but who, you're, you're, you're like, it's almost a situation where Aaron Rodgers is overcoming what the coaching staff is putting out. Yeah. Game plan. What were your takes on that game, Plucker? Well, I just really appreciated Mason Crosby and how he came back from that awful week that he had against the Lions. I mean, going, what was it, one for five with a missed extra point there? That was just an atrocious game. And to bounce back and hit a game-winning field goal and go three for three, four for four, whatever he was there, was just such an excellent comeback and I feel like a story of triumph. Well, that's a great point, too, because I think part of that, too, is his age. It helps. If it's... Second year pro, <laughs> yeah, Crosby, then it can get in your head. exactly. And you've seen we've seen this with with other kickers throughout the league, and that yeah, even but Dan having, Carlson of the Vikings earlier ex- this year. There's a perfect example, you know, and, and uh, Argyle from Florida State was it? Ar- yeah, uh, who was? I remember watching this kid. You know, you'd watch him on Saturday afternoons. You're yeah, like, oh, this guy's gonna be. In the NFL, look at I mean second he, round the, pick by the Buccaneers. We're going to be watching this kid yeah. for for twenty years in the NFL, and it, it it's it is so much. Uh, it's it's the kicking game is so much like golf. If if you just get a, you know lose your mechanics, and with the thing with with Crosby though, he was missing them, but not by much. 
Right. And mm-hmm. then you can see the one where he compensated for, okay, he missed, he just missed outside left, just missed outside right. And okay, it wasn't like you see some of these guys were, I mean, it's just complete wild. shame. Or they're, or they're kicking knucklers and that yeah. kind of thing. So, and, yeah, that's a good and, point. And as, though, much, as much as you guys um, don't like McCarthy as well, I think it was just a great thing for him to build that little confidence for him at the end of that Lions game, getting in the, him in there for one last kick as time expired to hit a field goal. I think that was huge for his confidence and to come in this week against the 49ers well, and be ready to go. I got to kick out some of these people. Oh, we got to bring in kickers. I mean, just, yeah. whoa, 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 hold on. There could have been other factors that we as the public or media don't even know about, whether it's he might have had a slight injury, he might have known, you know, or it might have been something where he looked on, you know, on uh, the next day on Tuesday and saw something in on the film or, you know, all these kickers all hang out together. Could have been somebody, you know, a buddy of his called in and said, "Hey, I just noticed something when you, you know, when you were planting, your foot was turned a little bit." You know, it might have been sure. something just as simple as that. Who knows? But yeah, it, it's you know, but people are panicking. Oh, we got to bring in kickers and that. And I'm like, okay, who's the kicker you would bring in? And you know, I was I jokingly said, "Well, we should bring in Cairo Santos." Because who is subbing for Zerline with the Rams? Yeah, and who's one of these guys that, that he's just on the edge, you know? Just it was one of these musical chair things where he didn't get picked up by a team yeah. this year, and you know, just sure enough, that same day he, uh, you know, this or that, you know, he missed a few kicks too. It's like, well, okay, there goes Cairo Santos. He's just as bad as Crosby at this point. So yeah. you know, there's no easy answers. Well. The best, the best scenario is him working it back, and that's what he did. It looks like. Yeah, you know, for me, my biggest takeaway of this game it was another game, and Aaron Jones was nowhere to be seen. That is, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I am. I, why? Well, one re- one thing. Why was I watching the Giants? Uh, <laughs> yeah, and the Falcons game. I don't know, but I was, and it was the same thing. I'm like, you have Saquon. Barkley, why aren't you running him? I think he only had 15 or 16 rushes. Yeah. And when I'm like, and you got Eli with his push face. I'm like, run the ball. Yeah. And they still only only lost by three. They could have sustained a couple drives, you know, and then, you know, they put eight, eight men in the box. Well, fine. Then, you know, Eli can still throw. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, it's just so frustrating, but yeah, I you gotta, you know, it's not going to be a fifty-fifty. We, we're not expecting that, but no, come but, on, Mike, you got to yeah. run. You have Aaron. He is he, the Packers are lacking dynamic players, and he is a one where we're scratching at that, and he he's looking he's looking dynamic. Yeah, and you know, there is no reason why Ty Montgomery should touch the ball before Aaron Jones does. True. No Very reason. True. And at I saw all. yes, there wasn't there a third down play or something where towards the goal line he, he had a carry, and I'm like, what was that? I know. What? What? It, first of all, the personnel, and second, the play calling. You just shake your head. Yeah, it was crazy. This this seems to be a common problem around the league too. It's not just the Packers or the Giants that are struggling with this too. It's it's just the fact that they they're 
teams are not confident in their young running backs because the exact same thing is happening with the Detroit Lions right now and Carryon Johnson. Yeah. Carryon Johnson is averaging six plus yards per carry, and they're not giving him the football. He's getting 16, 17 touches a game. He ran for 150 rushing yards in the first half against the Dolphins this past week, and we'll see how many touches he gets next week. But they they have not been consistently giving him the football and trusting their quarterbacks, their veteran quarterback's arm more than a young running back. You know, I understand where you don't want to burn the guy out. You don't want to just, Absolutely. you know, mm-hmm. but these, these, none of these running backs are even getting anywhere close to that. No. And it, Aaron Jones had what the first four games to relax anyway, right? or, you know, the first couple because of the suspension. He's fresh. Yeah. Hell yeah. He's fresh. It doesn't make any sense. So we had the bye week this week. A lot of the, well, tw- getting back to that, I don't want to see Ty Montgomery carry the ball the rest of the year. I don't need I want him in a package only on third down in which you know he he's running out in the flat and he's yeah. your you know is your release guy because other than that I don't want him ha- I just there's I don't know why you're not going to disguise none of this cute stuff especially against some of these teams like the 49ers who are lacking uh the personnel side but the coaching is not I mean you're not going to fool these guys with, oh, they got 20. Well, it's just, all right, help me out, Jeff. I, I hear you, man. Uh, so by week, the big buzzword was uh, across the hall, quote, unquote, across the hall meetings where wide receivers would meet uh, with the defensive coaches who would show them things, vice versa. The cornerbacks would go into the wide receivers room and, uh, get taught by the wide receivers coach. And all you heard for the last 10 days was across the hall. Now, one of the more troubling things that was uh, said over the last week came from good old uh, Jair Alexander, who, uh, you know, his play has been up and down. And um, he said that uh, what he learned from the across the hall meetings is that he didn't, he doesn't have it all figured out yet and that he needs to learn, he needs to watch more film. How in the hell, as a rookie cornerback, do you think you have it all figured out by week six? Are you out of your fucking mind? Uh, you know, there's the thing I... Uh, I, th- I think this is a, a, a problem league-wide with not only players but also coaches because I specifically remember a situation a couple times in the, uh, during the mid-90s and that when Favre would have these parties at his house. And maybe his, it might have been Winters or somebody, especially on Monday Night Football, and it was an opponent that was coming over. They'd watch Monday Night Football. And I always thought that was interesting when you get a couple of guys in a room like that and they would start talking football and noticing things and whatnot. And sometimes I think in a way that's sometimes better, especially for coaches. And with time management, I you know, there's I've I can't tell you how many football games I've watched, but it's to a point now where you're going, timeout, timeout, time timeout. Right. And it's so frustrating when you see the quarterback just standing there looking at the sidelines, you know, wondering, well, what should I do? You know, or or the coach too. 
and there's and you you listen to I I've listened to other people, uh, national media guys, and and there's one I listen out of Washington that he's a big proponent of that 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 coaches don't watch just regular TV to kind of get the flow of the game. They're just watching the the eleven on eleven game film, and so when situations come up where they should, they're not used to it except when they're on on the field. Yeah, they're not watching games like we are and you've seen the ebb and flows and you you're kind of getting in some ways we're getting more information not necessarily from that 11 on 11 film where you're seeing schemes and that kind of thing but also but just getting the flow of the game how coaches on one team or another may call personnel changes yet you can see and, and and stuff i and i think they're missing that and i think there's more and more players and, and coaches have stepped away from that. And I, th- I think it's a real issue. And we saw, uh, you know, somebody actually admitted on the Packers, we don't watch enough film. Sh- shocking. Because that's just something that is, you know, I, when you see people uh, trying to remember who s- said this about when they were recruiting, I was like, oh, it was a thing on, on basketball. I was watching it on ESPN. Weirdly, it's a fantastic series, but it has the worst name ever. Uh, basketball, a love story. Oh, yeah. Uh, what the fuck is a love story? What <laughs> is it? Really? It, yeah. it could have been. I, it, I, I, uh, but it's a, really fa- it's a really good series. And especially for Dan, you got to watch this because there's a lot of stuff they bring in that I think if you, especially if you love basketball, you kind of understand things. I've always been a historian that way because I was the youngest in the family. And I always want to kind of know where I came from, where we came from, and how and why things are the way they are now. Mm-hmm. And if you're a fan of basketball, that's a perfect example. And you can see why they, basketball is so much different in some ways than football and baseball. Sure. And but anyways, and they were so it covers not only pro but also college, and I'm trying to remember who it was. It doesn't matter, but I, whether it was Dean Smith at North Carolina or Bobby Knight or whoever. But when they were trying to recruit, they all said, not only did we want the guy, you know, who was good, talented, the athlete to that, but he also wanted the love of the game, and that's something where you wonder where, you know, if I'm not saying he doesn't have the love of the game, but there's also a, sometimes an issue. There's a um, adapting to that next level, where if it's been so easy for a four-three athlete, you know, being a cornerback or a safety is easy when you're in high school and you're in college, but when you make that big jump to the pros, whoa, hey, this is, you know, you're going from not only high school and college now, but now you're going to a PhD level. Right, you're getting really, really serious, Mm -hmm. and I think you're seeing that. And I kind of fault the Packers in a way to sometimes you can, and you know, Favre talked about this, where you kind of make the assumption on players coming in what they know. Favre went through his first what three years not knowing what a dime package was. Right, you know, and to be honest. I was that way when it came to algebra and math in high school because mm-hmm. I was just awful and I was pushed through. And there's a lot of things I didn't know, especially when it came to algebra, that I 
kind of went back on and I, oh, that's what that means. Okay. You know, and you try and cheat your way through because you don't want to, you know, when you're in high school, you don't want to ask questions. Dumb people ask questions. Well, that's what you think when you're 17, but that's not, no, you want to find you want to know. And, you know, it's, it's, so it, it was very telling what he said. Yeah, Plucker, and I've, I've you, said enough. Yeah, Dan. Do you please. think, uh, are you surprised that a rookie cornerback, one of the hardest positions to come in and mm-hmm. play as a rookie, doesn't it just shock you that he would think that he has it all figured out just a few games into his rookie season? I mean, it doesn't as much as it seems to for you guys, for me, because Jair Alexander's coming in and he's supposed to be the guy for this Packers secondary right now. There's not a lot of veteran depth there, especially in the cornerback position. And being a first-round pick and coming into one of the worst secondaries in the NFL last year, he is the guy there. And so for the expectations that the fans and maybe some players that we don't know about have for him, he's the guy that's supposed to be covering, you know, the Marvin Joneses, the Golden Tates, the, um, like the, the big names in the NFC North. And in the NFL in general. And to have that expectation for a rookie is is very difficult, I'm sure, on him. See, he couldn't say Adam Thielen. I couldn't think no, of him. No, he just mentioned two <laughs> Adam lines. Thielen, but... Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs, yes, all of them. But and... we have to start saying Adam Thielen. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, nobody wants to. Nobody wants to. You know, you have Michael Irvin saying, this can't happen. We can't <laughs> have this guy being this good. And it's like, well... Maybe he is. I mean, he just keeps going and going. Seven straight yard games. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the type of player that Jair Alexander is being called upon to cover. And they want him to have it all figured out, whether he does or not. Obviously, he just admitted today that he doesn't. But it's kind of sh- he's kind of just shooting himself in the foot at that point. It doesn't make a lot of sense for me to come out with a comment. That's a very rookie comment, yeah. in my opinion. It's, it's, it. non, it's non-educated. Yeah. And Hopefully he can learn from this mistake because he's going to be getting reamed by the media now and if he continues to make comments like well, this. He and- shouldn't. He shouldn't, though, because that's that was a brutally honest honest answer he gave. And the more the media people jump on it, the less you're going to have. I mean, that all, you know, he could have said, oh, I know exactly what most of the quarterbacks said. Oh, yeah, we were, we're working hard. We're studying hard. And uh, you know they, they it's the same old cliches, mm-hmm. but he actually answered the you know the question honestly, and it's telling. And in a way, I hopefully and I'm sure it will get to mediocre Mike and and hopefully to Pettin and everybody else to say maybe we need to just kind of reexamine and work on the book smarts. Well, that seems like that's what they were trying to do, anyways. But you know this is a young. Unfortunately, it's still a young ball club. We keep on, we've been saying that now for 20 years, but it's just, you know, it just, it's frustrating. But yeah, I mean, thank you, Jair, for, you know, admitting that, hey, there's a problem. I give him credit because it was honest, but it makes me, I'm going to take the, uh, the long game kind of depressive approach <laughs> here. You know, with the, the CBA and with them limiting, training camp as much as they do with them limiting how many times you guys can hit in training camp and all this kind of stuff, the whole pussification of the league. This bothers me, especially when the Packers have, you know, let's go bowling day, uh, team building quote unquote days and stuff set aside 
so these guys can, you know, grow as a team and camaraderie and all that other kind of crap. When you have guys that don't know how to watch film and you're now a, a professional athlete, you're not playing for a, a school that you, you know, uh, on scholarship or whatever, this is yeah. your livelihood. This is where you make your money. And if you don't know how to watch film, okay. The fact that the coaches don't know that you don't know how to watch film is, to me, a bigger indictment on the coaching staff than it is on Alexander. Because to me, for Alexander saying he thought he had it all figured out, that just shows that he's cocky and 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 kind of dumb. But for the coaching staff to not know, oh, my God, this kid needs some help, that's a problem. Well, if it's not the coaching staff, who would you expect? There's not a lot. Like I said earlier, there's not a lot of veteran leadership there. Like, we well, got Tremont Williams. You brought the old man back. Yeah, Tremont Williams, but he's never been the guy on any you know, team. I want to. This this wasn't going to be our then and now portion of it, but you hope it's not a situation that the Packers had in '99 when we had a Super Bowl team and. Ron Wolf said, well, we need an experienced coach, and he brought in Roy Ro- uh, Rhodes. And it's, you know, who's – you don't even hear his name. But it was so telling on how, yes, you can really make a bad I, – I think I think that's why you have a lot of people kind of worried about the McCarthy situation because they remember Ray Rhodes where you had a Super Bowl team that finished 8-8. Eight and eight. Yep. And – then you hear after the fact, Ron Wolf would come into the um, locker room and how out of control it was. It was really a situation of Holmgren had everything, everything was in its place. Everything it was like letting go of a rubber band, and it's a it that it can spin out of control quickly. And you wonder. I'm not saying that this is a situation now, but we just got a little bit. Of, we 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 were able to kind of get our eyeball by the keyhole and peek into the locker room there courtesy Alexander and he gave us a little quick glimpse and it wasn't a good sign so you wonder are there other things I'm sure Gutenkust is aware of it and you wonder you know Murphy I'm sure these guys know about it and because all the people you know everything is on there's mirrors everywhere in Green Bay because it's such a small community and I'm sure they're hearing about this. And you know, if I'm McCarthy, I got all. I'm I'm having a coaches only meeting, and I'm having a sit down and saying, "Hey, what is going on here?" Yeah. Because as <laughs> as uh, who said that? Uh, our our ass is in the pot, right? Who said that? What was that last year? Or uh, or no, the umpire. That was the umpire. Uh, the one thing where they mic the umpire. Uh-huh. Yeah. Our ass is going to be in the pot, in the jackpot. <laughs> one of my favorite things that baseball ever did. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, it, I don't know. It's just, it, it's not a good look, especially for McCarthy, whose seat's getting hotter by the week. And uh, they got a tough game coming up again. Uh, this, three games. Well, they and got a tough I five think this, game stretch. Well, five, but I mean, the three, we're going to really see. I mean, this shit's getting serious now. Of course. Because mm-hmm. this is where, you know, we've been kind of, yeah, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek saying, and I've been, I've been specifically mentioning these coaches, and now we're going to be going up against them. These guys are playing chess, and Mike has been playing checkers. Can he make the 
can he make that transition from uh, checkers to chess? Because he's going to need to if he's going to keep his job. Well, we'll see. So let's just focus uh, in, you know, total coach speak, one game at a time here. So the Packers travel out to L.A., going to face the technically number two ranked offense in the league, even though we all know that they're the best offense in the league. I think Tampa Bay is number one for some totally strange reason. (laughs) But, uh, you know, Plucker, what chance do you give the Packers to shut down the Rams' offense? Slim to none. There's not much of a hope here for the Packers' defense. I think if the Packers want to have a shot at winning, they might as well onside kick on every possession because – they need to get the football and they need to score touchdowns. And this game's going to be a shootout kind of no matter what. And if they give the Rams the opportunity to have the possession, to win the possession battle, then I think that that this is not going to be a very close competition. I think that the Rams are going to run away with this one. I, I told uh, Jeff earlier that I was thinking it would be 48-17 Rams. Now is it actually going to be that much? I doubt it. But I think that the Packers kind of have to hope for a shootout, and they have to hope that Aaron Rodgers can torch this Rams defense, which is something we haven't seen much of this season. Or do you try and limit their possessions? Okay. You know, do you, you do you start playing, You know, try and grind it out? Well, and we've he's been able to do that. I'm trying to think a couple years ago he did that with a game where he did a grind-out game, and it worked against a superior team. I think it might have been one of the games against the Cowboys like three, four years ago where we were well, – maybe no, maybe it wasn't. It was before Elliott. I'm trying to think. There was a game, though, where he actually played. We were shocked, and it, it might have worked. I'm trying to remember now. But anyways, uh, it, it's it's going to be tough. And But how many times have we been in a situation where, oh, yeah, Packers are going to get creamed? And it's a lot closer than we thought, it's or so they were. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, I mean, I was thinking too. Forty-two seventeen. That sounds about right. I mean, and we've seen it with this team before, um, with with scores like that. But especially when they go out to L.A. Uh, uh, but uh, it's going to be okay. Girly. I mean, if Muhammad Wilkerson was around. You may okay. Maybe we can control Gurley, yeah. but now you're wondering. Now uh, you know they they've been stout against the run at times, mm. but how many times have we seen? Okay, one yard on first down, two yards on second down, and then they break out, and then they get a nine yard run or a nine or a little pass, a little you know pass over the middle or something. You know, it's that third. Those third downs are going to be so important on this team. Yeah, I just I don't have any faith in McCarthy to actually stick with the running game. He said it in his uh, press conference today, which is Wednesday, that he goes, you might not believe it, but when we set up our offensive installs, we always start with the running game. Right, Mike, for sure. Thanks All for right. lying. You want yeah. some uh... – You know, he's not going to stick with the run. My worry is that if the Rams sit there and, you know – I just think that our linebackers and our secondary are just going to get absolutely eaten alive on the play-action pass, that we're going to sit there and try to stack up against Melvin Gordon, and then, you know, next thing you know, you're giving yourself whiplash trying to follow the ball 55 yards downfield, you know, as Goff's airing it out all over our zone blitz, horrible a, second. A nice zone blitz and where we got Matthews on the tight end. That'll work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, uh, <laughs> um, that's a winner. We've had there was a time between 1968 and 1981, 
in which the Packers lost 10 of 11 to the then Los Angeles Rams. Wow. And uh, the one I, re- I remember this one, uh, <laughs> in 1980, they lost 51 to 21. Oh, <laughs> We could see that on Sunday. Oh, I think they're going to put up more than 50. 51 to 21? You all come on. Oh, I do. I do that we couldn't stop C.J. Beathard. How the hell are we going to stop Jared well, Goff and all the weapons that he has? Yeah. The worst The worst game was that playoff game in 2002. That was the infamous Brett Favre. Six interceptions? Yep, six picks. Yeah, 45 to 17. Yeah, that wasn't good. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, – they have been able to – let's see, last time they played, we won Packers 24-10. Uh, actually, we've won uh, the last four times they played. All right. So you got to put your house on it. You're going to say uh, we get Ooh. five in a row? <laughs> <laughs> I also, though, remember there was a game, 95, yes. 90, it was the season opener. They lost 17-14. to 14. Everybody was shocked because the Packers were favored. Well, that was uh, 94. They had lost – to Dallas, and there are some people, including me, who thought they'd be a Super Bowl team in '95. And then they lost that opener to uh, to the Rams by one, and it wasn't that close. It was, if I remember, it was like a 14 to nothing game. And then Favre came. We got a couple touchdowns. I want to think in the second half, and all they had to do was kick a field goal to win it. But um, yeah, there's been some ugly, ugly games, and in, actually in the past. It was um, wasn't uncommon for the Packers to finish the season on the West Coast, where they would play the fort in the '60s and in the Lombardi years, where they would play the 49ers and the Rams on the West Coast at the end of the year. Well, of course, you want to if you're a Packer player because that way you're playing in the heat. Well, and it was instead of playing in you know, and by that time, in some ways, it was advantageous because it gave the opportunity for the turf to get kind of get repaired. For the playoff, that most likely that playoff game they were going to have uh, in December at Lambeau Field. It seems weird to say, considering how far it seems like we are away from home playoff games now. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a fight. It's really going to be a fight to get into the playoffs. Of course it is. It and, really is. And even that's with the NFC North being a pretty horrible division this year. You know, I mean, you hope, you hope that the – NFC East is as bad as we think it is, where they where they don't bring in a wild card there, and then but the, the division is going to be really tough because the Bears are playing much better than we thought they were. Trubitsky is looking very very good. The Lions have looked better. They've had a couple burps, but don't forget that's a totally new system. Yeah. But I think as a Lions fan, you have to be pretty happy where they're at right at oh, this point. Yeah, I'm I'm very content with where they are. I. I am surprised that they somehow pulled off wins against the Patriots and Packers, well, but then got smoked by the we Jets. Were, we were talking about the Patriot yeah. win was, I mean, they, they had that circled. Oh, yeah, big time. Early on. Big so time. That, that, that was, was Patricia's glory that, moment that in, was their for Super this Bowl. season. Yeah. You know, yeah. So so the big question was how they going to re, you know they were going to rebound the rest of the year. But the Vi- if I'm a Vikings fan, I'm kind of got a little uneasy feeling. They've had a lot of injuries, but that offensive line is awful. And it'll be interesting to see how if they can pull it together when it counts in December and January. And really that offensive line, those offensive line issues aren't a valid excuse because of how talented this team should be. 
this defense should be shutting down teams, and that's just flat out not happening. Well, that's the yeah. thing, though. Every though every team, every good team, it seems like is out there. There, there is a, 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 a part of that team that isn't complete. Whether it's the Vikings and their their offensive line, the Seahawks and their offensive line, or their some of their defense. defense. Yeah, defense. yeah, you know, and there you're seeing these, or or whether they have a quarterback or a quarterback that's too young. I mean, I think right now. We would have would would you trade the Cardinals defense for the Packers defense right now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a few of them that you would, mm-hmm. but I mean, the Cardinals have some gaping, gaping holes on the offensive side. So, well, there was an article that came out a couple weeks ago and said if you want to make money uh, betting on football, just bet the over, because with all the rule changes right. and everything like that, yeah. the overs are hitting like crazy because it's so impossible to play defense anymore in yeah. this league. Yeah, because you got some teams that are struggling but still have times where their offensive is, is very competitive, and that's the, like the Jets. Yeah, Sam, you know, Sam Darnold wasn't that high going uh, coming in. But he's looked very, very good uh, with the, at, at times with the Jets. He's still making rookie mistakes, which is it's going to happen. But I think he's he's looked very good. And and on the other side, though, who I thought the most and a lot of people thought the most NFL ready in certain ways was Josh Rosen, and he's mm-hmm. looked awful. Yeah, he's been horrible. He's and been... he's got that Eli. He's getting that Eli Manning puss face too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're right. You're Josh right. Allen, though, what do you think of him? I'm impressed. I liked him coming in. I did too. For especially because mm-hmm. of uh, that arm. Oh, well. but as we've seen with uh, Jeff George, you know, you can have the you can have a million dollar arm, but a ten cent head. Yeah. Right. So, but I mean, he looks looks pretty good. He's going to mm-hmm. be stout. I think he's probably going to be. But that's a team with lots of issues. Yeah. Well, of course, of course. You know, that's the price you pay being. You know top 10 pick is that you're going to a team in a bad situation. And then we have the Giants and the Raiders are in uh, they're not tanking, but they're tanking. Yeah, they are. Who did the Giants trade today? Snacks? Yeah, yeah Snacks, snacks to the Lions. That's a great, that's a great trade. For a fifth round For a pick, fifth they round stole pick. him. Yeah. Former All-Pro yeah. defensive tackle. He's they currently the leading PFF scoring for um, He's a run for, stopper. Yeah, run well, stopping. Well, okay, yeah, we'll take that. He can play first and second down. Yeah. yeah. Yes, please. Yeah, really. Uh, you know, he would have been a nice replacement for Wilkerson at this point. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier during the big show. It was yeah. just like, wow, why did the Packers not go after this guy? Because exactly. he's he's a very talented player that's going to be coming into a defense, the Lions defense, which is one of the worst in, or in the rushing offense, like the, the defending the rushing offense. And that's – that's exactly kind of what the Packers are going through right now, too. They haven't been able to stop the run, and that would have this would have been a big help for them. And once again, the Cowboys spending too much on a wide receiver. Yeah, first rounder for Amari Cooper. Hands of stone. Good and, luck. Uh, and now the Raiders have <laughs> five first-round draft picks in the next two years. That's yeah. crazy. Well, you know, that's what happens when you deal your best wide out and you deal your best defensive player. You know, uh, John Gruden, you know, it, it, it's it got to suck. You know, you would think that the Raiders would try to make a push to be semi-legitimate for, well, I guess they're not even opening the Las Vegas Stadium for another 10 years. That thing keeps getting fucking delayed. We and can now build, they're talking about them going to move in uh, San Diego. Yeah, we can I build mean, an NBA arena here in Milwaukee in, what, a year and a half? Yeah, it seems like yeah. With god-awful weather <laughs> constantly there's like 10 nice days a year here they're out in las vegas and it's taken them forever to build a freaking nfl stadium come on 
What a joke. But you would think you would try to go into your new stadium with a semi-respectable team, and they have taken blowing it up to a whole new level. Yeah, and for Raiders fans, you just better hope that John Gruden's right, because if he's wrong, this is going to come down to like one of the worst contracts for a coach and decision-makings by a coach in NFL history. He needs to, in order for it to work, the only way this is going to work if he can blunt his ego enough to bring in a, a smart, younger personnel guy. He's going to need to do that to do the work. He, he He's not going to be able to do it all himself. And he's got the 10-year contract. You know, I don't – who knows if he's going to serve it out. But, I mean, yeah, that team's going to suck for two, three years. The problem is, is you're worried about is them getting in a situation like the Browns have had. Now, the Browns – have finally starting to get the personnel, and I think we've seen them over the last two two games that you know what they that coaching staff is done. They're going to blow them out after this year. They mm-hmm. have to. It's not. There's too much talent, and there's too many gaffes happening. Hugh Jackson is a great guy, and all that, but you gotta. They don't want to be the Bengals, and that's basically you know, you need to blow them up, and that's going to be a situation is. If you blow up, the Browns blow up their coaching staff, and the Packers blow up the coaching staff. Then you're then you got two teams that are going to be fighting for a coach. Well, and John Dorsey, I'm sure would love to have McCarthy down there in Cleveland. Well, that could be a good. That would be a good. Yeah, that could be a a good. But we don't know what's going on with Pittsburgh too, though. There's some talk. I don't think that anything's going to happen in Pittsburgh though. But I my only thing is. Who is the next? Who's that guy? Well, uh, you know, I'm. Uh, there's nobody that I'm. There's no buzz about anybody. Well, I'll take Gase out of Miami. And yeah, I'll... we we and we talked about that uh, one or two podcasts ago about Adam Gase. How we were saying, and we well, we didn't know each other three and a half years ago. Well, but we uh, we had my buddy Terry on, and we were saying that. We really wanted Gase in here a couple years ago than when when he went to the Dolphins, but I'm still though the, the Dolphins have some issues too, and you don't know. I I'm a little hesitant. I would love to have him as offensive coordinator. See, I uh, like Gase either as head I, coach or OC. The one that that I, I would be hesitant about who I love, Lincoln Riley, the head coach of Oklahoma. That dude's offense is completely. Cutting edge, you know, forward thinking. It looks badass. I think it could work in Green Bay. My only caveat would be would Aaron Rodgers respect his ass and do what he's told? Well, that's the other thing. And and I I think I don't nothing to base this on, but it's always a hunch that I had that when they brought Patine in, Petting in, that that the whisper was made that something happens to McCarthy, you're the guy. I don't know. I, I would think that the Packers would give it to Philbin over Petten, but I don't know. No, it's the same guy. Philbin is the same. That you got to blow up the offense. Well, we'll see. Who do you like if uh, mediocre Mike finally uh, gets put out of his misery? Um, I don't know if if Penn State would give up Jonathan Franklin. I think that would be an interesting caveat to uh, Mike McCarthy. Um, I'm not sure there's any NFL intentions there for him, but the way that he turned around Penn State after the disaster that was there could be 
a fun thing to see him do with Green Bay because they're they've they're slightly a mess organizationally and they have been for a few years. And I think Jonathan Franklin could be the guy that would come in and fix that. I like Gase as well. Um, he has a very interesting offense, but he did receive some scrutiny earlier this week because he ran for it on like the 41 yard line when the Dolphins were driving, and it was third and nine, and he did a QB or a running back draw rather than taking a shot and trying to get a touchdown on the play, and the and the Dolphins ended up punting that drive. So there, are, every every coach will make mistakes, but hopefully in Gase's young career, he won't make more mistakes like that where it's going to be reamed out by the media and by fans. Uh, but I like him as well. I think he would be a good fit in Green Bay, like you guys were saying. Well, he also has Tannehill. He doesn't have the golden boy in well, Aaron Rodgers either. Yeah, so, that's true. You know, it, uh, that's one night and day difference there. Would M- McCarthy have developed Tannehill better, though? No. McCarthy hasn't developed anybody. Aaron Rodgers came that is in true. with yeah. all the talent in the world, <laughs> and McCarthy hasn't done jack to anybody. You know, we've seen them all, all the, all he was the expo- black I mean, it was, Like I said, that, that that exposed, that really exposed him. I mean, he was standing with no pants on. And if year. McCarthy goes to Cleveland, if they if they fire Jackson and bring in Mike McCarthy, oh boy, that is going to be hilarious what he does with that team. And Baker Mayfield's got a ton of talent too, and I he was does. 100% wrong when I said the Browns were crazy taking him number one. Because he looks like the most talented out of all those guys that came out, mm-hmm. but oh boy, that's going to be that's going to look real, real bad on mediocre Mike. So I was I was a little hesitant on Baker Mayfield too because you were like, okay, he's cocky, which you need that in a quarterback, but you didn't know where on that spectrum he was. Was it bad cocky? It was a Ryan Leaf cocky or yeah, was exactly. it good cocky? Right. And you didn't really know. And I suppose if you and I were in on those meetings, maybe we would have had no problem drafting them first then. You know, that's the thing. I mean, these guys have done the preparations and everything, and supposedly they were comfortable with them and everything else. Yeah. And he looks good so far. No. Yeah. I mean, but uh, you really got to hand it off to Andy Reid, though, what he's been able to do Mahomes. And Mm -hmm. it shows what, when you have a guy who had the tools when they drafted him last year, but you just put, just hold on, just just watch a little bit. It was interesting how it, it worked out perfect because he had Alex, uh, uh, not who was always a dinkin' dunker, was actually able was moving the ball last year, and it was almost like so. Mahomes was kind of almost seeing a little bit if that was him out there. You know what I mean? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, so and he could kind of see things a little bit, and it really. So this year, boy, he's hitting the ground running, and he looks so good. And once again, there's a there's a guy too that there were some people that were all oh, low too cocky. He's you know, falls in love with his arm, this and that. But, I mean, he, he's done a wonderful job down there. Now, granted, we're only just barely starting to get into November. and <laughs> The Chiefs are going to chief, man. And Andy <laughs> Reid's going to Andy, Andy Reid. Yeah, let, let's see what happens around Christmas. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, they'll be out first round, first or second round. It's Andy <laughs> Reid, you know. Yeah. Well, guys, my liver's twitching. So, uh, we got to close out the Green and Gold Then and Now podcast. 
Mr. Daniel Plucker, thank you very much. Nice thank job you for Daniel. having me. I appreciate Sitting it. Sitting in guys. for Anthony Mandel, who's at the Ed Sheeran concert. Yeah, really? yeah. He, he's got his uh, short shorts on, <laughs> tank top, and just rocking out. Rocking so, with Ed Sheeran. Follow, or, uh, how come you're not there? This, I could. I, I thought. I don't think Slayer's opening up. Snow Slayer opening up. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that's why I'm not there. But <laughs> follow uh, Plucker or at at Dan Plucker. D-A-N-P-L-O-C-H-E-R. There will be a quiz later. Uh, Steve, like always. How many people do you think cry at that concert? Uh, Half of the Every fucking parent that's there with their (laughs) screaming 12-year-old kid. You know, (laughs) oh, my God. Okay, I got to ask you. you, Tell me you're not a fan, Dan. Are you a fan of 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 Ed Sheeran? Eh, he's he's all right. I'll listen to a few of his songs, but nothing... Okay, not you've, you went down him. a couple of notches. Not too many. <laughs> Dude, I want to say that Baby Tausch has seen him like multiple times. Seriously? Really? Seriously. And he blames it on his sister. <laughs> oh, well, she's a fan, so I go with her. Now, I can see but, if you got a chick who wants to go, and then, right. you know, afterwards you're waiting for the prize after the, you know. Right. But, I mean, how much money would it, how, how much cold cash would it take to get you in there tonight? A thousand bucks. Come on. Well, five hundred bucks, enough to, enough so I could sit there and go out for a night and live, you know, party like a rock star. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I think about five hundred for me. Yeah, but there's no way in hell, you know, you you could hand me a free ticket. I'd laugh in your face. There's no, I'm not going to that crap. No, it would be a spectacle though. Would you go in your black t-shirt and everything? Oh yeah. I'd have an Iron Maiden shirt on and, you know, be pounding booze and looking for the smoking section. I remember. You'd stand out like I'm a dating sword. myself. <laughs> I, saw, I saw Roger Waters at the auditorium. I went with a buddy. We had pretty decent seats. We got there real early. And it must have been dog style they were serving or anything. It was a good beer night. For some reason, the beer was just really good. And I'm drinking, and I'm drinking, and I'm like, okay, this is, I'm in a nice buzz going, mm-hmm. watching the concert, and then it started. I I seriously, I went to the bathroom like four times. It was ridiculous. Thankfully, we were close enough where it wasn't too bad, but I mean, it was like it was getting uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, I've so seen control that. your liquid it liquids intake at concerts, especially like somebody who plays like two and a half hours or three hours or a Springsteen concert. You better just wear a stadium pal. Yeah, put a diaper on. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's Steve Zaki. You can follow him on Twitter at and, Steve Zaki. And that's my wife uh, texting me. Oh, nice. Where I am. Checking up on you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm Jeff Orlowski at Jeff underscore Orlowski. Thank you. We will be back next week. Another fine soon to be award-winning edition of the green and gold then and now podcast thank all you guys for listening have a great night go packers and uh, hopefully they don't lose by triple digits to the rams